This morning we're reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, I think. 1 to 6? Okay. Um, and if you just want to turn in your Bibles, um, and we're just going to continue on uh, reading through the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Um, is this working now? Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Good. All right. Well, um, this is probably one of the most quoted um, passages of, of Scripture. Um, definitely one of everyone's favorite passages, right? We love to, to tote this one out. Hey, don't judge me. Um, in that kind of way. Um, I'm pure Gen Xer, so I've had two pox only God can judge me from 1996 in my head all week. Not really appropriate to play in a church service, so we'll uh, forego that. But, um, but there is this sense, right, of only God can judge me. You can't judge me. Um, and, and this is really the world that we live in. It's the culture that, that has um, become very, very persuasive. We live in an age of autonomy, um, where we are self-contained, where we will be uh, the judge of our own lives and no one else um, has any um, right to intrude into that. Um, and this has, I think, led to a, a lot of kind of mass confusion um, about even what we can determine, um, what can we agree on, of what is, is, is there any kind of... Um, outside truth, a body of information that we can agree on uh, that this is true, that this is right, or this is wrong, and how do we come to those kind of conclusions? And this is the world that we kind of find ourselves in, and I think we're in desperate need for knowing really what this passage means this morning, and really how we apply this passage um, uh, this morning. So we're kind of on the downward slope of the Sermon on the Mount, Um, we've Really, we've entered into a kind of a new section. Um, the notion of kind of greater righteousness that we've been looked at, um, that our righteousness needs to be greater than those of the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees. And we've looked at how that relates uh, in our relation to God, how our greater righteousness needs to exceed that in, in, in relation to God. And we looked at fasting and prayer and um, uh, generosity, those kind of things. We've then looked at how that... Uh, relates to our world as far as material possessions go. Um, so we've looked at uh, money and anxiety and, and all those sorts of things. And now we're entering into a third section of really how our greater righteousness applies to the world's people and in our relationships in some ways. And this is really the theme that's going to tie this section together is that of evaluating or discerning correctly. Can we rightly evaluate and discern things? And uh, that's going to come in two warnings that we're going to look at today, and then there's a third one that's stated a little more positively, and uh, John's going to look at that next week. Uh, So this morning, we're going to look at two parts. One, 
we're warned not to be judgmental, but then secondly, not to be undiscerning. I'll just use the other So two warnings that we're going to look at, not to be judgmental and then not to be undiscerning. And so let's just jump in. We're going to look at um, really these first couple verses. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is a fairly straightforward passage in a lot of ways. It's not, it's not overly complicated. Um, in God's ordained nature of the world... And his active justice, we essentially reap what we sow, right? So this is what, this is what uh, Paul would say in Galatians 6, uh, 7 and 9. How you live in relation to others, ex- it affects your experience of how you experience others. And we'll see even how you experience God. Um, this, is, this has been part of uh, the, the theme of, of this sermon already, isn't it? So if you go back, if you have your Bibles open already, if you're in chapter, if you go back to chapter 6 and verse 12, when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so we experience God's forgiveness partly as we forgive other people. He reiterates this in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So how we relate to other people, are we forgiving, are we merciful, or are we judgmental, um, affects how they respond to us, how we uh, relate to them, but also how we relate to God or how God relates to us. Um, And so the question for us this morning is, do we have a judgmental or do we have a condemning attitude towards other people? And the answer, of course, that most of us want to say is no off the top of our head. And that's probably true. You could point to your your friends. You could point to your family. You could point to the people that you love to spend time with. And those are generally not the people that we are going to um, find ourselves being judgmental probably towards. But what about that coworker uh, that you really don't get along with? What about the people that disagree with you politically? What about themins and not usins? What is our attitude towards those people? Now, it's important as we try to figure out um, what Jesus is saying, of, of what he isn't saying. And so, what is Jesus not saying? He's not saying that we shouldn't evaluate, that we shouldn't discern, or that we can't ever say that someone is wrong, right? Even in this passage that we've read this morning, we'll get to it in a minute, he's called some people dogs and pigs. That's right after he said not to be judgmental, by the way. And so you're like, well, what's going on here, Jesus? You're calling people literally dogs and pigs. Later on, um, he's going he's gonna to say that we're going to need to be able to discern, or at least God's able to discern, We should have some discernment over who is in the kingdom of God, sheep, and who's out of the kingdom of God, goats. But even in that passage, it's clear that sometimes it's not easy for us to discern, although God knows. It's not even us sometimes easy for us to discern what we are. Am I a sheep or am I a goat? Because in that passage, some people are going to say, I'm a sheep. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. You're a goat. Let's leave that for John 
later on. So he's not saying that we can't discern. The Bible will also call some people wolves and, and, and encourages us to discern who they are, these false teachers who come in acting like sheep but are really wolves. And we're to know the difference between those kind of people. Part of the um, problem is how we use this kind of word. But, but we are to be discerning. Part of the responsibility as, as elders and as a, you being a member of this church, if you're a member, is to exercise church discipline when needed. Thankfully, we've not had to, to do any of that or much of that. But when that time comes, or if that time comes, Lord forbid, we have to exercise discernment in that. How do you, how do you exercise church discipline if we can't judge anything at all? And so Jesus isn't saying that we can't discern. He's actually calling us to discern well. Part of the problem is how we use the word judge. Um, in our modern usage, we tend to use it quite narrowly and negatively. So to judge someone is to condemn someone. It's to pass judgment or to pass sentence on someone. In the past, it was a more broader use, and it had positive elements. To judge was to evaluate it was to discern, it was to separate things, it was to decide something. We would judge whether we should do something or not. And this is what really a good judge, in a municipal kind of sense, does, in a judicial sense, right? A judge listens, perceives, decides what is just, what is right. Judge and just come from the same root word. And then they dispense justice, again, from the same root word, to judge is to dispense justice. It is to actually perceive what is right, what is wrong in that sense. So Jesus is saying that we must judge fairly, not with some standard for other people and a different standard for myself, which is what hypocrites do. And he uses that word again. It's a word that he's been constantly calling us to. In verse 5, you hypocrite, first take care of yourself, then other people. We'll come to that in a second. We must not have a judgmental attitude or adopt a critical spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. The people of the kingdom of God are not people who are marked by a condemning, judgmental, um, critical spirit. Um, a few other verses, if you want to write them down, you can. Romans 14.10. Paul asks this, he says, why do you pass judgment, there's our word, on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? Again, this, connect, this isn't a type of judgment that is a fair judgment or a helpful judgment. It's a despising judgment. And then he reminds them, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The warning is, why are you judging your brother in a despising way, knowing that you too will have to stand before God someday, that we are all going to be judged according to our works? James uh, extrapolates this verse uh, several times. James 2, 12 to 13. He says, so speak and so act as those, are to, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if you're a Christian today, you say amen to that, right? Yeah, amen that mercy triumphs over judgment. I, I don't want God to judge me according to uh, justice. I want him to uh, judge me according to the mercy of Christ. Because if it was just left to strictly what is just, 
I would receive condemnation, as we all would. James goes on in chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So again, he's speaking to the, the, the family of faith, the church. We're not to speak evil against one another. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother, again, notice these things are strictly connected to each other. It's judging out of a condemning, evil, judgmental attitude. Speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You've put yourself in a position of being the judge, not as someone who's under the law yourself, which is what we are. And he reminds us again, there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to be the judge and jury passing, t- passing sentence and condemning your neighbor? And again, it's, it's the kind of judging that's happened. It's one who is speaking evil. It's not the role of a judge to speak evil. It's a role of a judge to evaluate fairly. Don Carson, um, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, is very helpful in this. This is what he says. He says, what is fundamentally at stake, I think, is attitude. Now, let's just stop there for a minute because is this not what Jesus keeps going after in this sermon? He keeps going after our interior person, our inner self, our heart, right? The center of our thoughts, our motives, our actions. This is where Jesus keeps going after. He says, listen, the hypocrites have it all sorted on the outside. It's what's going on in their inside that really matters. And so he says, what's fundamental, I think, is attitude. This is clearly seen in that particular kind of critical spirit found in the gossip. It's not always the case that what the gossip says is malicious. What he says might, in fact, be strictly true. But it is always the case that he says it maliciously. That is, he speaks without any desire to build up or any real concern to instill discernment. He only wants to puff himself up or to be heard or to enhance his own reputation or to demean the person about whom he is speaking. You see the difference there. There's a way that you can actually say what is true, strictly speaking, and do that in a way that Jesus would condemn you for that. Because our heart attitude is not one that is speaking truth out of love. It's not one that is seeking to help, to build up, uh, to help someone avoid danger in their life. The motivation is all centered on self. I want to look good. I want to be heard. I want to enhance my own reputation by knocking the other person down. I want to demean that person. And instead, we are commanded to speak the truth. But when we do that, to speak it in love. Matthew 18 gives us the provision to deal with each other, to deal, to deal with brothers and sisters when we feel like someone is in sin, when we feel like someone is in error, right? Because sin does destroy our lives. It does lead us away from Christ. It leads us away from life and into death. And so when you see someone on that path that you love, you want to warn them, right? You want to call them back to um, a life that leads to flourishing, If you had a loved one who was sliding into addiction, you want to say something, right? You're not like, well, listen, who am I to judge? If they, you know, overdose on drugs, that's, I guess, on them. No, we, out of our love and compassion for them, want to call them back to that. 
And the same thing with sin. Matthew 18 gives us ways that we're to do that, but we're to do it gently, we're to do it humbly, and we're to do it aware of our own proclivity for sin. Galatians 6, this is Paul's instructions. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, okay, so we notice some, something wrong in someone's life, you who are spiritual. Now, that's a qualifier. That's not just any old person. As we'll see, I think what he means by you who are spiritual are you who have taken the big plank out of your own eye first. You who are spiritual, you who are mature, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is exactly what Jesus is getting after, isn't it? A hypocrite is really, in, in a lot of ways, someone who is self-deceptive. They, they, they think they're something that they aren't. And so the point of Jesus' uh, command here isn't that evaluation of others or evaluations of situations or concepts or ideas must be avoided, but rather disciples of Jesus must evaluate and discern properly, humbly, and fairly. Look even at Matthew 6 when we, we just looked at these verses again. It's important to be reminded. For if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness of others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Judgmental people, people who are marked by um, an attitude of judgment, of condemning others, speaking evil and seeking out the worst of other people, even in a self-righteous kind of way, even in a way that technically might be true, Jesus says those people aren't part of the kingdom of God. That's not a characteristic of true followers of Jesus. And the question that all of these texts, whether it's in Galatians, whether it's in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, whether it's in uh, James, is this question for us. Do you really want God to apply his standard of justice applied to you in the way that you apply it to other people? And if we're honest and stop and think about that, the answer to that is no. <laughs> I want God to be far more lenient, far more merciful, far more giving me the benefit of the doubt, if you will, than I do to other people. And this is an area that I've had to grow in myself. I want to continue to grow in. And he gives this um, humorous, um, absurd kind of illustration, doesn't he, in verses 3 and 4, uh, 3 to 5. Why do you who see the speck in your brother's eye, this little piece of speck, this little piece of sawdust in your other's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's a lot going on here. First of all, we, what we see is the speck, while it is small compared to the log, is still a problem. The speck still needs to come out. He doesn't say, ah, oh, the speck, it's just a speck, it's no big deal, leave it in there. Right? 
Um, Johnny Bonner, who will baptize this morning with his wife, yay, is, a, is an eye surgeon. And a, um, just a speck in the eye, a little, just a little tiny piece of metal. It'll be fine. Just leave it in there. Um, no. Um, I've actually had that when I was in seminary. I was working in a diesel mechanic shop. I've had a lot of ways that you kind of provide for yourself. I'm not, I literally couldn't do anything that I did back then. They taught me how to do this, and I did that multiple times. So I'm not really a mechanic. So if you have a problem with your car, I can't help you. But during that time, um, we would use power tools and grinders and all kinds of manly stuff and, um, and, uh, that I haven't used since then. And, um, and, but I got a little piece of metal, and it went in my eye. And, um, and I tried to sleep at night, and I couldn't sleep because every time I closed my eye, it would scratch up against the back of my eyelid, and it would really irritate my eye. And so I had to go to the doctor, and they put these little drops in your eye, and then they put this clamp in your eye so you can't close your eye. And then they turn off all the lights, this little, like, fluorescent light, so that anything foreign in there, um, they can see. It, it shows up. It glows in the, in the dark sort of a thing. And then with tweezers, he just reached in and pulled it out. And it was fine. It felt like my eyeball was going to come out with it, but it was fine. And it was this little, he showed it to me afterwards, little tiny thing. It wasn't that because it was small, it wasn't important and didn't need to come out. It did. But imagine that doctor trying to do that um, with like a big visible thing out of, hanging out of his own eye. I'd be like, I might need to see a different doctor. You've got some of your own problems. And this is this kind of hyperbolic statement that Jesus is making um, that makes us laugh, that's kind of funny, that's absurd and ridiculous, but that's the point. It's absurd and ridiculous for us to try to correct and be so judgmental with little tiny things in other people's lives when we have our own major problems and our own that we have not dealt with yet. Doesn't mean that those things aren't important, don't, don't need to be addressed, doesn't mean that those things, if they're not dealt with, won't fester. It just means there's an order of first importance here. We are to sort out our own eye first. Then, or as Paul would say, then those of you who are spiritual, those of you who have cleared your eyes, doesn't mean you're perfect, but you have enough clarity to see, then you can help those others. And here's the point in this. This act of taking the log out of your own eye is a, is a metaphor for repentance, isn't it? It's recognizing the issues that I have, the sin that I have in my own life, the things that need to be extracted out of my own life, and repenting of those things, asking the Lord to actually do those things in our life in that kind of way. And once those things have been removed, we have clarity to be able to see. Repentance leads to clarity. It helps you see better. When we have sin polluting our lives and it's not dealt with, it's not repented of, not, not, I'm not saying we're perfect. We struggle with these things. We have to continually live a life of continual repentance. We're constantly flushing our eyes out to stay with the uh, analogy that Jesus is using. It helps us see better. It helps us see more clearly. It will help us to discern This balanced perspective keeps us from, on one side, this judgmental, critical spirit, and then on the other side, just from moral apathy. Well, then I guess none of it matters. You got specs, I got logs, we all got stuff in our eye, no big deal. That's not what Jesus is advocating either. Are we to have a critical mind? Yes. 
Leaders in the church are actually commanded to do so. You need to be able to think critically. You need to be able to know right from wrong. You need to be able to discern. You need to be able to spiritually discern things. You need to have a critical mind. But a critical spirit, never. And there's a massive difference. And part of the problem that churches often fall into is not being able to discern the difference between those things. A critical mind, helpful. Leaders should have those things. We should all try to develop a critical mind to be able to discern well. We need to be discerning people. We need to be able to think through um, the issues of our day. Following Jesus isn't easy. It's complex. We are faced with new issues that the Bible doesn't just clearly address in black and white often. Ethical issues that we have to discern for ourselves. We have to work out. We need critical minds. But a critical spirit the reason Jesus says that those people are not a part of the kingdom of God is because that is the spirit of Satan himself. What does Satan do? He, he accuses the saints. He goes before Jesus and says, what about that guy? You, that guy's a Christian? Look at all the junk in that guy's life. You, you, you mean to tell me that that guy's a Christian? And he accuses the saints that voice that you hear if you're a believer that's accusing you, not the, not, not the convicting um, voice of the Spirit of God, wooing us back to the grace and mercy of Jesus to be found over and over again. Not that voice, that's the Holy Spirit. That voice that accuses you and points out your sin to try to drive you away is the voice of the accuser. You call yourself a Christian? Can't believe you're going to go to church this morning after that life you've just lived? Maybe you should just stay home. That's the voice of the accuser. It's not the voice of the Spirit calling us back to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Now, some Christian leaders will use this to protect their position and their power, right? You can't judge me. You know, I'm an elder, I'm whatever, in that kind of way. And that's wrong. You should be able to have a critical mind and discern if the leaders of your church are in error or in wrong. And I would hope that you would come with that spirit of Jesus, that Matthew 18 spirit, wanting to restore with gentleness. And it, I promise you, if you come in that kind of way, um, we'll listen. That's our, that's our job to do that. Don't come with a critical spirit. And we know the difference, right? You know when someone's just being critical to be critical. They're not really trying to be helpful. You know when someone really cares about you and is trying to help you, trying to point out those, those errors or flaws in love, and when someone is there to condemn you. And it's usually people that we don't know so well that we're most easy, um, quick to condemn. So Christians can't pronounce, this is good, this is wrong, but we are not to condemn. Jesus' ethics shape a society for reconciliation, not one of damnation. Let me say that again, because if, if there's ever a place, it's Northern Ireland, that needs to hear this. Jesus' ethics should shape a society for reconciliation, not one of damnation. Um, 
If you were on social media this week, you might have seen this altercation that happened down in, I think, Porta Down it was, between some religious folks. I don't, I don't know who they are um, in that way. They had parked their car. I think they were doing some kind of open-air outreach or whatever, parked their car illegally. Traffic warden came along and said, you need to move your car. And there's this basic kind of altercation that was recorded on film and, you know, kind of released or whatever out there in that kind of way. And... Um, one of the guys walked by, by and, and told the traffic warden that she was going to burn in hell. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty strong language for someone just trying to do their job. And technically, you are the one with your car parked in the wrong place. And it was just this really condemning attitude toward this person. On and on and on it went. Um, and these people are supposed to be representing Christ. The reason they wanted to park their car illegally was to tell people the good news and love of Jesus, except for the traffic warden who was going to burn in hell, apparently. Jesus says, this is not how this should be, brothers. (laughs) This is not how we should act. We are to demonstrate observable love, John 13, John 17. And even if you have permission from someone to park your car that way, this poor innocent woman is just trying to do her job, didn't know that, didn't understand that, whatever. The attitude was not one of Jesus. And here's the thing. I have been that way far too often. Far too often. Just hasn't been caught on camera. Log. Spec. Here's D.A. Carson again. He says, the critic always looks for something else to criticize. He cannot feel he is sound unless he is constantly denouncing and condemning. If that's not a description of like popular what makes the media Christianity in Northern Ireland, I don't know what is. Let me say it again. The critic always looks for something else to criticize. He can't feel like he is sound unless he is constantly denouncing and condemning. If we're relying on constantly condemning and denouncing for you to feel sound, Jesus says you've got it all wrong. It's not in the condemnation of others that makes you sound. It's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done on your behalf, even though you had massive logs in your eye, is what makes you sound. That leads us to our last verse then, verse 6. This is maybe one of the hardest verses to kind of, you know, make sense of. But if we understand it in the context, which is always uh, important to do when we're trying to understand the Bible, um, it makes a lot of sense. So do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So this is the second point that we want us to see. One, the first one, don't be judgmental. Don't be condemning. Don't have a critical spirit. The counterbalance to that then is, but don't be undiscerning. So we are to be discerning. This idea of pearls and things that are holy, um, we, you know, we have this kind of phrase, pearls of wisdom. Um, so that came from Jewish rabbis. They would actually, their um, um, teachings, uh, these truths that they would have, they would call them pearls. Um, so we call these things kind of pearls of wisdom. Essentially, they're, they're teaching, if you will. Jesus is saying, don't give things that are holy or sacred um, to dogs. In that sense, dogs and, and, and pigs, both of these 
what is unclean. This is a Jewish understanding, essentially, of what was outside the kingdom of God. Uh, in that way, he's talking to Jews. He's using language that they would understand. So this isn't derog- unnecessarily derogatory language for them. It's categorical kind of language in that sense. But it's to also separate these things of what is holy, what is of God. And he's basically saying there are times where you are wasting your time and energy to give these things to people who have no interest in them that are just going to turn and attack you. Now, this is really important for us to understand because we have a missional impulse here. We want people to hear the good news of Jesus, right? We want to go and, and, and bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done in our life. But there are times when Jesus is saying that that is unwise, not worth our time, or in the way that we're engaging people, maybe, you know, colleagues at work, um, online, Twitter, whatever it may be. We need to discern when is the right and wrong time to engage in these sorts of things. And this is, again, Jesus gives this kind of wisdom again when he sends out his disciples two by two. He sends them out. He says, hey, when you go into a new town, look for people of peace, be able to share the gospel. But if they reject you, shake the dust off and move on. Move on. You don't have to get embattled in that city. You're like, we're not moving, we're not leaving this town until everybody becomes a Christian. He's like, no, go with the good news and the message. Those who are mine will respond Those who are against you will attack you and shake the dust off and move on. We see the Apostle Paul um, doing the same thing, right? When he would go to a new city, what what would he do? He would first go to the synagogue. He would first start with God-fearing Jews. And oftentimes, some of them would be converted, and then eventually, the establishment turns on him. They try to kill him. They eventually do kill him. Um, They would persecute him. They would beat him. And so he would be like, okay, I'm done with that now. I'm going to turn my attention to the Gentiles. He didn't, he didn't try to convince people all the way to the end. Peter, the same thing, 2 Peter 2, 22. He, he references this proverb. He says, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. In other words, there are some people who we as humans are not going to convince And we're to leave those to to the Lord to do the things that he can do. So verse 6 provides the balance wisdom to the instruction of the first uh, five verses. It emphasizes, the first five verses emphasizes hesitancy, extra care in discerning the faults of other people. This verse supplies the counterweight, lest we become foolish and undiscerning. We are to discern. It provides a a moral symmetry, if you will. While we must always be careful in evaluating others, we shouldn't become too lax or lose all critical faculties when it comes to sacred concerns. Um, One of the examples that kind of struck me, I don't listen to it very often, but every now and then I'm a glutton for punishment, and I'll listen to the Stephen Nolan show. And... um, and again, the whole thing is cringeworthy from top to bottom, in my opinion. If you're a big Nolan fan, I apologize. But, um, but there's those Christians. It's the Christians that call in, and I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm like, oh, don't embarrass us. And so many times, it's just pearls before swine. It's a waste of time. You're just there to get shredded and attacked. 
Does that mean that we shouldn't have any public uh, theology or any public witness? No, that don't, again, don't overreact to these things. It's wisdom and discerning when this is a waste of time, when this is actually doing more damage than good. And there are things um, that are holy. It's why we, um, when it comes to communion, um, communion is for those that are part of the body of Christ. We're going to receive communion at, uh, uh, here in a few moments. And that's for anyone in this room that is a follower of Jesus. <laughs> Evidence of grace in your life. You're walking with the Lord. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to legitimately be a Christian and part of the body of Christ. And if you're, not, if you're here today and you're not that, man, I'm so glad you're here. We're not here to judge you, <laughs> obviously. We got our own issues. We got our own logs. But we would call you into faith and repentance that we too have experienced. And once that has happened, you're welcome to the table. It's a great place. So we be wise. We don't argue with people who are really set and there to attack you. They're not open to dialogue. This is uh, Paul's advice to Titus in chapter 3, 9 to 11 of, of the book, Titus. He says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And there are certain arguments that we want to argue this theology, we want to argue this, that, and the other, and Paul's like, listen, Avoid that. It's foolish. It's unprofitable. As for a person who stirs up division, so this is that person. This isn't, we, this isn't talking about someone who's genuinely interested, the person who wants to know more, or the brother who's like, hey, let's talk about, I have loads of great conversations with Presbyterian brothers over our differences, and they're great. We sharpen each other. We learn from each other. It, this isn't that. This is that person who's set in their ways, who's, who's committed to, to being divisive. He says, for a, for, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Shake the dust off. Move on. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And that's hard at times because we want to have compassion on people, rightly so. I don't want people to be condemned in their sin before God. But I also have to know my limits as a human being. I'm not God. We have to trust people to God and his sovereignty and pray for those people. Pray that the Lord would do what only he can do. That the Lord would soften their heart. That the Lord would change their mind. And how many times have we seen the evidence of that in Scripture? The Apostle Paul is the greatest testimony of that of all. Someone who was warped and bent and divisive, murdering people, like jailing Christians, and God shows up and is like, yeah, you're done with that. You're going to be like one of the greatest missionaries ever. No one else was going to convince Paul that. Peter wasn't going to convince Paul that. John wasn't going to convince Paul that. Jesus had to show up and do that work. And so sometimes we have to just let Jesus be Jesus, and we don't, we just have to go, this is pearls before swine at this point. Do we trust God? Or do we feel like we have to be the ones um, to do that? We're going to come to um, the table. One of the things that we do at communion um, is we examine ourselves as we come. Because it is this uh, reminder of God's grace and mercy to us that those specks and logs can be removed, that we can be clear-sighted. 
Um, but we come with that reminder, examining ourselves, and this is a great opportunity for us to be very judgmental. This is the one time you get to be very judgmental. It just has to be for yourself. So come, and come be reminded of God's goodness and grace that removes those specks, that removes those logs even. But maybe we just take a second to evaluate ourselves. Do we have certain people I just pray the Lord would bring even certain people or certain circumstances or situations to mind where maybe we're not actually as loving as Jesus would. Maybe we're very good at speaking truth, but we're not very good at, at being loving in that. That's my personality. I have this kind of prophetic edge. I don't, I can, I'll tell the truth to anybody. I don't care. I had a hard conversation the other day with someone, someone I love dearly, someone in my family, and I hung up uh, afterwards, and Sue, Sue was there. We were kind of having the conversation. And, and she said, I bet that was really hard for you. And I said, no, it wasn't hard. It wasn't pleasant. I certainly didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't hard. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you don't find that hard. Maybe you're like, hey, I'll tell the truth to anybody. I don't care who it is. But I have to be careful then that, I'm, that I don't actually... Um, go so far that I'm actually, my motivation isn't love. My motivation isn't actually to see that person see the glorious truth that I see. There's a very fine line there be trying to try to win that battle, to try to, to try to best that person in the argument, win the argument, and lose the person. And Jesus is like, that's not the way of Jesus at all. Or maybe you're the other way. Because there's a danger on the other side. I just want to love people. I just want to have compassion on people. And that never results in you being honest or saying any kind of truthful things. And that's not loving either. That's actually not compassionate. Just to let people constantly believe things that aren't true. Maybe God needs to give you a little bit more discernment in that as well. And confidence in that. And my, my prayer for us is that we would be very good at this as a church both publicly and our public witness, whether that be online and social media, at your workplace, in the academy, wherever you find yourself, and in private with our own personal relationships with people, that we would have this Christ-like balance of being able to speak the truth in love. Jesus always spoke the truth, always. And he always did it from right, heart-loving motives for that other person. May we be those people. May we not be what we think is so loving that we won't speak the truth. And may we not be so truthful that we can't actually love people. And may we be humble to know that we won't always even be able to discern that ourselves. And so may we lean heavily into the Holy Spirit for guidance in that. And may we give people the benefit of the doubt. And when we are unsure, probably best not to say anything. We need wisdom. We need guidance. We need discernment on how to be discerning. We need truth on how to be truthful. We need God's love in our own life to be loving to other people. May he grant that to us in abundance this morning. Let's pray. Father, we have said over and over again that this isn't just a sermon, but it's actually a silhouette. It's a picture of what you are like. And so, Father, we thank you as we come again, to take this means of grace, this, these, um, 
these symbols that we remind ourselves of your grace and goodness to us. That while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, you loved us enough to come and provide a way for us to know the truth. The truth, the truth of who we are, the truth of who you are, who we are in relationship to you. And that we would find grace and mercy. That you don't condemn us in our sin, but you actually um, give us a way to be reconciled to you. Father, that's my prayer for all of us this morning. We get this great picture of your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, and bread and wine. And then afterwards, we'll see this other great picture in the sacraments again of, of people being buried in their old self and being raised to new life in water baptism. Oh, what grace and mercy you have for us. Spirit, would you help us to be those people that reflect that measure of grace and mercy and forgiveness to other people. May we not be like this servant in the parable that was forgiven billions of dollars in debt and couldn't, couldn't forgive his mate a five-quid note. May we know the depth of grace and forgiveness and patience you have with us so that we would extend that to other people. We thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of that from your word this morning and to celebrate your grace and mercy in these tangible ways. Help us, Holy Spirit.